Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Friday. I'm Mike Williams, the founder and president of Altius Financial. And I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor McGowan, our senior wealth design specialist at Altius Financial. Say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I jumped the gun title. on that. <laughs> Today's episode is about small business, small business starters. We're doing this episode in kind of an anticipation of our complimentary virtual workshop next month, early in August here, where we will host a panel of business owners sharing their business experience and wisdom and insights in their respective fields. Our hope is that this podcast will be sort of a primer and a great chance to touch on the concept of becoming a business owner and to address the key points to focus on before making that next big step in your entrepreneurial career. The workshop should then be an insightful opportunity to hear a variety of business people and entrepreneurs about their personal experience, starting their business, running their business, you know, the challenges and opportunities that they have. And we hope you'll enjoy this episode and reach out to us if you'd like to join and attend on August 3rd for that workshop. Yeah. So just a quick disclaimer, just a quick, easy reminder. You, you guys are used to this, but any discussion we have on these podcasts is not meant to be direct advice or recommendations. We recommend if you have any questions about your financial situation, you reach out to your financial team directly. If you don't already have one, we are definitely looking for new great clients who love our podcast. So give us a call, reach out to us, taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com, or even just check out our website. We have lots of great resources on there, www.altiusfinancial.com. So you want to get into business. So that's actually what we titled our workshop that we have coming up, but we kind of have a few different categories of what we're going to discuss today. And I think that's really where we're going to start is, do you even want to get into this? Is, is it worth the effort? Is it worth all the extra hours and the sleepless nights of, will I sell my product? Will I get the clients I want? And I think that kind of all starts at the big question of why, why, why would I want to do this to myself? <laughs> Maybe you got a nine to five or a 10 to four and a nice cushy lunch break. And why do you want to put in all that hours to own a business? And, and oftentimes it either comes because you have a passion or you have an idea or a combination of the two of those. Maybe you're an inventor, you have something you want to sell, a solution that you're prepared to solve, or maybe there's something you're passionate about and you want to kind of follow that and take it forward. So Mike, do you want to share some of your experience? We were talking about this just before the podcast and you kind of said that, well, you haven't been a W-2 employee since you even graduated college. Yeah, I have an interesting uh, a personal story as far as being in the financial services business. I've, I've been in this business since graduated from college. And, and aside from the W-2s that I've issued myself through Altius, I've never, I haven't gotten a W-2, haven't gotten a paycheck in, in that sense since I was in college. So I did the entrepreneurial route and I have some perspectives on it. And I think you're right to point out the, the big first question is motivation. You know, why do you want to do it? Why does a person want to why do they want to be in business? What is their motivation? And what is really the difference between being in business as an owner of a business, either solely owning a business or being a partner or a shareholder and, and being an employee in terms of your productive work? And so those are some of the things we want to talk about. You know, what, what is the difference? I, in one sense, I think that, and this is more my mentality, I know not everyone in the world shares this, but I think of everyone as being in business for themselves. 
So even if you are a nine to five or 10 to four or whatever, you know, whatever it is, if you're a productive person trying to earn your way in the world, which the vast majority of people are, or at least should be, or have to be, and that's, that's just the way the world works. That means you're in business for yourself. There's, there's sort of this idea of me incorporated. You, you have some ownership. That's what it means to be a free citizen, especially in a free market or a semi-free market. That means you have ownership of your body, your mind, your labor, your time, and you get to decide what to do with it. You know, ownership means having the control and disposition over what you do with something. You know, if you own a car, you get to decide what to do with that car. If you own a house, it's yours. No one can come in and just decide they're going to camp out in your house. You own your body and your mind and your, and your time, and you can decide to sell that time to someone else. That's being an employee, but you're still employing yourself as the owner of you, just deciding, okay, the product I'm selling is my time and labor that someone else is buying. And they're doing that for a reason. They're doing that because you offer some value and, and they want the value that they offer more than that the money they're paying you, obviously, because they think they're going to make more money by employing you that way. But that's the key thing is why does someone want to be a business owner aside from just selling their time or labor? And you, you know, I've asked you that a bunch. For those yeah. who don't know, our, our goal is to have Taylor become a, an owner, an equity owner in Altius Financial and where we're working, working toward that goal. And, and so we have this discussion all the time. And it's relevant in the sense of she has, since the time I've known her, been very passionate about both this business and having that kind of control and wanting to have that kind of input on the direction of a company. And as you mentioned, that's, that's a big part of it. If a person has a passion about something, then that oftentimes is the motivation to pursue a business. Yeah. Well, and I, I think a lot of people lean towards the idea of wanting to be an owner from the perspective of, okay, now I have the ability to choose how I direct my time. I know you said in your own words earlier, and I know you often will say, oh, it's still America. So you really, you can use your time however you want. <laughs> but oftentimes people in traditional corporate jobs feel quite limited to how they will spend their hours and what needs to be done during those hours. Right. Because they've that, already sold. They've already made that decision to yeah. sell their time to the company. And, and you're right. There is a great deal more control as a business owner to say, well, I'm the one who's directing the resources, including the employee's time. I'm the one who decides how to allocate resources, whether it's the employee's time or the money that I'm investing in the business or the equipment that I bought or whatever it might be. So you're right. The, an employee has, once they've made that in a sense, entrepreneurial decision to sell their time, they have a lot less control and a lot less risk. And you're right. That's what a lot of us do. In fact, that's what I did. I mean, I wanted to have more control over my time. And, and a lot of times people are sold on the idea of the American dream of being a business owner where you can, quote, be your own boss and therefore direct your own time and not have a limit on your income. And those are all true and, and a real possibility for someone who's, who's being entrepreneurial that way. But it also means they have the risk. And there is the flip side. I mean, in one sense, I'm my own boss, right? At least so far, you're not an owner yet. And there's no one else. I own 100% of Altius. So I'm the boss. I'm the only boss I have. But in another sense, you know, we have lots of lots of clients and they're all our boss. And one of the things that people who are in business, if you own a restaurant or if you own a you know, a dry cleaner, or if you own an airline, you know, you've got customers and the customers are the ones who really decide whether they're going to hire you or not. So they are the boss. And that's a key thing about a free economy and a, and a thriving dynamic business environment is that 
customers get to choose and they get to decide who they hire and who they don't, who they're going to buy from and who they don't. And so you, you can be your own boss, but you also are going to have lots of bosses. So that's, you know, one of the kind of uh, edges of making that entrepreneurial decision that sometimes people don't realize there's two sides of that, you know, that there's two sides of that edge or two sides of that coin. Yes, you have more freedom. Yes, you are your own boss. But in another sense, you've given up a lot of freedom and you've, you've got lots more bosses. Yeah. Well, and on the same note of where you're going with that saying, okay, well, you will need clients and those clients will be those bosses for you. There's kind of two categories of people you're going to need to work with. Ultimately, you're going to have yourself. You got to be your, your own employee, but then you've got to say, okay, who is my target client? And then who are my target employees? I kind of want to share a little story. So I, when I was in college, I took this entrepreneur course. And yes, they, they have an entrepreneur class at CSU. <laughs> it's a real thing. But um, it was a really interesting class because one of the first class days we walked in and our teacher said, okay, well, regardless of what business you're in, you're going to need to be able to connect with people to hire or you're going to need to connect with people to sell to. And ultimately, the people to hire are going to be the people who have a skill set that you need, or they're a specific person or a specific type of person. And the way that he shared this as, hey, you can connect with anyone in the world that you need. The way that he explained that was by saying, hey, let's find someone in this room. This room only has 30 people. Someone's going to have a connection to the president. And we all looked around like, what? This guy's crazy. Like, what is he talking about? And sure enough, like, Within a couple of minutes, someone rose their hand and was saying, oh, no, no, my, my uncle works directly with the president. I, I can get you with the president. <laughs> Fast forward five more minutes. And he says, okay, well, what about this random pop star guy? I, I don't remember who it was, but it was someone famous. And we're all looking around going, okay, who knows this guy? <laughs> Who's This one's not going to get it. And sure enough, someone else was like, oh, yeah, my friend's friend works with that person. I can get you in contact. And so that really showed the value of, okay, you're going to have to build a network to be an entrepreneur. Now, wait a second. You didn't, you didn't, you said CSU, you didn't say Yale or Princeton. So all <laughs> these people are well-connected. You were in the elite class of all elite classes. Or are you just using the, the Kevin Bacon uh, seven degrees or whatever it is, six degrees of separation? And you know I think what that's what about? it gets down to. Yeah. I think it gets down to the six degrees of separation. I had my accounting teacher did the same thing with birthdays. Apparently there's, everyone has so many birthdays in common, but essentially if you need a skill or a person with a skill, or you want to reach a certain type of person, that person is out there and they're probably a lot closer than you think. And especially with social media nowadays, you can really reach kind of a vast majority of society through just online technology. But that's, that's a really good point, Taylor. That's a huge point to, you know, I was kind of kidding you. You didn't go to an <laughs> Ivy League school and I certainly didn't either. And people, obviously your network does make a difference, but the world is a much flatter place in the sense of there isn't the kind of hierarchies that used to be there where you had to be, you know, from nobility or from some inside family or whatever to create a business and to create a net, you, you can't, there are resources there's lots of people or capital or ideas that you're much closer to than you than you really do realize. And that's a fantastic point to make for anyone who's got that entrepreneur mindset. Yeah. But I do also want to tell you from experience, it's not always easy finding or keeping the perfect employee. So if you're sitting there going, oh, she just told me that if I walk into a room of 30 people, someone's going to connect me with someone. Someone will probably connect you with someone. They will probably be great. 
will that person stick around forever? Will that person be your dream employee? I don't know. I can tell you, I am going through the process of trying to figure out hiring employees. So it is a, quite a bit of work, but definitely keep an open mind and be aware that, hey, these are some things I'm going to need in this process. It's oftentimes it's not going to be just you. You're going to create a team around you and that team will be people you hire and people you sell to. Yeah. And the other point, I think you, know, you were discussing this a couple of days ago and, and a little bit before we started recording here, just the whole idea of feasibility of a product or service. You know, is this a product or service that's brand new? No one's ever thought of, you know, it's changing the world, so to speak, or is it, you know, just a twist or a better way, a better way to serve clients or customers? What is the feasibility? Is there already a market there in place? Or are you trying to create a new market? But is there, is there already demand? Are you going to somehow create demand? For whatever your product is in the business that you're setting up. Yeah. Or is it even just an idea of something like, hey, I can solve that with some online solution. But I know if I came up with an online solution, I'd be calling up Dave saying, hey, I don't know how to do anything tech related. Can, can you program this for me? <laughs> so is there and, someone out there who has those skills? And that's the point about uh, how how integrated an economy can be. You, you may not have the skills, but you may have the idea. And then you hire the skills or you find the skills or you network or you, or you partner with somebody who has the skills. So those are all kind of the preamble or, or pre-thinking of you know, motivation about why you want to go into business and what kind of business it's going to be. What's the next thing? Well, so next, a lot of you are probably saying, okay, I've got an idea. I've got a passion. I, I know what I want to do. Maybe I've got a couple close buddies. I know who I want to work with. I know who my target market is to sell to, but maybe you're going, ah, uh, well, I've got a pretty stable job. What's really the difference between being an employee versus an owner? Do I, do I even need to be an owner? Or can I just try to continue doing what I'm doing at work right now? So I think things that people typically ask when they're thinking, Hey, do I want to become a business owner? I think the first two are going to be your hours and your pay. <laughs> yeah, specifically like the hours said, and energy, for sure. I mean, yeah. and that's because, you know, you may have an idea for a business or you may think, okay, I can do this better. But again, in a, in a dynamic economy, you have competition and there may be people who already thought about that and have already solved the problem you're thinking you're going to solve, yeah. or they're already doing a pretty good job of it. And so you have competition and that means that you're going to have to work hard and, you know, I used to use an analogy in training new financial advisors because they were basically in that same sense that I was setting up a business. They were, they were contracting with a firm, but they were independent contractors, 1099, not W-2 employees. And the biggest thing I could tell them, I think that was helpful is, you know, it's just going to be a, a, a huge front load investment of time and energy. I used to use the analogy of it's like, uh, plane on the air trip, you know, plane on the ground uh, first before it takes off. And I don't really know that much about flight and aeronautics, but I do know that pilots run a checklist and they do a lot before they get up in the air. On the ground, before they take off, they're getting that engine hot and they want to know if there's going to be a problem before they take off. It's a lot easier to deal with a problem on the ground than it is way up in the air. And so my analogy was that as a new person 
a new financial advisor or a new dry cleaner owner or whatever your business you're trying to, to start, there's going to be a lot of hours up front, more than you probably realize. It's, it's because it takes a lot to get off the ground, to get a business, you know, so that it's, it's up in the air. And it has enormous rewards, but it does take that kind of commitment up front. So that's the first thing a person needs to ask themselves is, are they, do they have that energy? Can they commit the time? Do they have lots of other interests that they're wanting to pursue or family they have to make sure they're spending time with? All those things are factors in whether they're going to be committed and successful enough to compete. Yeah. And so then next you go, okay, well, if I'm leaving this current job that has a regular W-2 salary, what happens to my pay? And so likely it's going to do what Mike usually talks about when kids go away from home, when they go from, okay, I'm having my parents steadily build up with me. to then it just kind of drops off because you have no guarantees and then you got to rebuild it back up. And like right. the likelihood is you'll also have a lot of increased expenses because maybe you are hiring people. Maybe you're buying supplies. Maybe you have to register for certain regulation stuff. You'll likely have quite a bit of upfront expenses and possibly and probably some loans as well to start up that business, depending on the field you're going into. But as Mike said earlier, the overall goal is that ultimately you'll have a higher pay in the long run. Yeah. And that's the, the, the risk reward thing, both in terms of time and control, because a person who is a successful business owner maybe doesn't have that they have, again, more control over their time and they don't have the upfront expense of time and energy that they invested early on necessarily, unless they want to keep growing. And the same thing is true of the, the pay. They reduce their pay potentially to zero or even negative. I mean, I, I remember when I first started in, the, in, the, in this business, I was, I was expecting paychecks and I got invoices. <laughs> so I was having to pay out. Um, but that that is the trade-off, you know, a person has the way that risk and reward and obviously their lifestyle will change both maybe negatively in terms of their income in the short term and hopefully positively in the long term. Lifestyle is a different question because not only about time and money, but it's also the people that you meet. If you're having to deal with customers and you're meeting suppliers or you're talking to a variety of different people who might be connected to the business in some way or another, including you know, regulators or whatever it might be you're having to change your mindset. You're learning and growing and that's a lifestyle change in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, well, I'm passionate about something and maybe you're already working for a company that's doing things that you like, things you're passionate about, similar to what I'm doing right now. Like I love financial planning. I love investing. I'm already working in this field. I already have quite a bit of autonomy, autonomy, yeah. I can choose how I spend my day because Mike doesn't micromanage me is what I was saying, (laughs) is the word I was looking for there. (laughs) But so can you be a part of a business? Can you make an impact without being an owner? You can definitely make an impact without being an owner. This is just us talking about, okay, well, do you want to take that next step? Do you want to add on some risk? Do you want to see that higher reward as well? But regardless of what you're doing, any business you're in, if it's something you're passionate about, you can still make a difference as an employee as well. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the most valuable parts of the businesses are the employees or the key employees who who really do a lot of the work and and deliver the value. And hopefully, I mean, the, the idea is that they are rewarded handsomely for that. Maybe not in terms of ownership dividends and, and that kind of increase in income, but their, their salaries are going up and they're, they're rewarded because the business owner being the 
profit seeker that they are want to keep that employee to continue to have that value that they're providing. And then the question of, okay, well, can I do a little bit of both? Maybe you don't want to start your own business, but you want to own a chunk of what you're in already. Maybe you're working for a large company and they offer you employee shares. So you're likely not going to be a majority shareholder. You're likely not going to change the whole business overnight based on the ownership that you have in that company, but you can definitely still be partial owner of a company. You can also be a partial owner of any publicly traded company. So this is where I'm going to cue in and say, hey, check out our buying into business episode that we released. I think that was two months back. And that's where we kind of talk about the different concepts of investing and investing in businesses that you're already working for, like employee shares. Or even just like you said, publicly traded shares that you're, you're buying into as a minority shareholder and you're passive in the sense that you don't, you can vote on the proxy and say, okay, I want these people to be the directors and maybe have some impact on the management. But ultimately you're a very minority shareholder in a large business that's publicly traded like that, but you're still an owner and you reap rewards as a common stock shareholder. And that's the connection sometimes people don't make is owning a business is the same in one sense as owning stock in a company. It's a question of how much control and impact do you want to have on the day-to-day operations and then the risk reward as well. I mean, a passive common stock shareholder of a large corporation has some risk, but not nearly the risk that someone who just opens up a financial planning shop or a dry cleaner or you know, an auto repair shop or something like that has, that's a lot more risk. Yeah, definitely. So now you're probably thinking, okay, you guys have convinced me I do or don't want to own a business, but really, what do I need to know about this? Like, what, what are my next steps? And so one of the first things you'll probably need to figure out is what kind of business structure are you even setting up? Are you setting up an LLC? Are you setting up a limited partnership, a partnership, an S-corp, a C-corp? And one of the things you're thinking about when you're choosing this is really what kind of impact do you want to have on this? Is this your baby, your business, you're running the whole thing just by yourself or just you and a close friend? Is this you're building an empire? You're the next Jeff Bezos. Is this something where you want to have the opportunity for your employees to have ownership? Or maybe this is just an opportunity where, hey, I just want to put the money in. I, I've got friends with great ideas, but I want to put the money in and I don't want to deal with it. I just want to be a partial owner from that perspective. So you really want to figure out what, what are the specifics of the type of business you're getting into to determine what that business structure is going to look. Yeah. And you introduced a whole new language, right? You say LLC and S corp <laughs> and C corp and all that. We probably should talk a little bit about those things, what they mean. You know, one sense yeah. they are uh, government structures of these entities. LLC stands for limited liability corporation. Um, a limited partnership is just that you're, you're partnering with other people again, in a limited way to limit liability. In fact, much of the structures of companies today, aside from a sole proprietorship, a sole proprietorship just means, okay, it's me. It's just me. I own the whole thing and I'm going into business and I'm, I'm selling usually a fairly simple product or, or service. And I don't really have to do a lot of extra paperwork for the government. I do still have to file a tax return for that sole proprietorship. But beyond that, you're talking about trying to reduce risk. And that's how the history of a company came about is saying, well, there's these organizations that provide values to society called businesses. And 
if they're just small and sole proprietors, that's one thing. But if they want to take bigger risks and they want to provide more value, we want to give them the ability to do that without risking all their personal assets. And that's sort of the, the history of risk-taking and insurance, the insurance concept, as well as business, so that people can have bigger ideas and dreams without risking everything. In fact, the modern corporation and insurance idea it has roots in just when the Europeans were exploring the world and saying, okay, we're going to you know, ship things across the ocean or explore things in uncharted territories. And you know, we have to hire a crew and build a ship and we got to you know, outfit that crew. That's a lot of money and I don't want to take all that risk. And so that is the pooled risk idea of the modern corporation. And, and so the liability is one of the biggest things is trying to have a structure that incents people to take bigger risks. And if, if it doesn't go well, not to screw up their whole lives or have them completely start over necessarily, even though there is the bankruptcy laws. So that's, that's part of the issue of these entities and how they're structured and as you were saying, Taylor, it's a question of what kind of business is it? Does it require a lot of capital? Is there a lot of equipment? How much risk do I want to take? What's the capital structure? How much control do I want? I want to share that with other people? What about taxes? How am I going to pay taxes? I mean, one of the biggest things you mentioned, S corporations versus C corporations. C corporations are typically the large, uh, large multifaceted companies that end up paying double taxation. They're, they're taxed at the corporate level and at the individual level, whereas an S corporation, and same thing with LLCs, they're considered pass-throughs where the, the income derived from the business gets passed through to the individual's personal tax return. And so taxes are part of an issue as well. And some companies start out as sole proprietorships and then graduate to be an S corp or a limited by liability corporation, and then grow so much that they change structures even to become a C corp for various reasons as well. So once you figured out what kind of business structure you want, you're going to want to figure out where's your business even going to go. Is this something you're doing in your basement? Is this something you can do virtually just on your computer? Do you need a whole warehouse? Do you need a business office? What location or locations do you need for this type of business? And that'll really just be specific to whatever type of business you're doing. I do want to note that a lot of people seem to be getting into like Etsy type businesses or things where they're selling stuff from their home to people online in different places. I would likely recommend you get a PO box if you're doing that just for safety purposes. So you don't have strangers casually showing up at your home. I haven't heard of any horror stories yet, but just everyone be safe out there. <laughs> I have, I have heard of horror stories before where people have this operation out of their home and they have some inventory or whatever, but they don't think uh, in terms of a business person who, again, you're, you're talking about limiting your risk. I would have, you know, I want a PO box to have some of the transactions go through rather than having everyone you know, know about and, and be familiar with or come to my home. That does introduce more risk if you have someone coming to your home. It's interesting that there are more home-based businesses just because of technology, right? You don't, you can do transactions and provide value in lots of different ways without having necessarily tons of inventory space or just even the, the technology that we have today. Even maybe you're not even talking about anything material. It's a service business that you can operate out of your home. That's the, yeah. the wonderful thing about the innovation and technology that we have today, that people can provide value without having a ton of capital. In fact, some of the most successful businesses over the last 20 or 30 years were not necessarily highly capital intensive. You know, when we say capital intensive, I think about 
I always think about the airline business. I mean, talk about, you know, they've got to have big old jets and they got to have gates at airports and they got to have big fueling tanks. And that's a lot of stuff, you know, big, big tools and big physically material type things that you have to have. And, and obviously many of us love to travel and capital intensive businesses are a huge part of our lives that we're customers of in many ways. But you can have businesses that don't have that much capital and, and software and things like that have been really successful because they're definitely employing incredibly brilliant minds and they have to pay their employees well in terms of the programming and, and that kind of thing. But they don't necessarily have the same kind of outlay with regard to all the equipment. If they obviously if they get big, they got to find a place to house those brilliant minds and they got to give them the, you know, the technology to, to build the software and so forth. But that's an interesting point about whether you can do it out of your home or whether you really need a, a whole different space. Yeah. So next I would say you probably want to look at the legal parameters of starting a business. So depending on what industry you're in, is there a patent already out there on the product you're looking to sell? Do you need to create a patent? Do you need any kind of regulatory registration? So for instance, I have a CFP, I have a series 65, there's basically an alphabet soup of, of like credentials you can have in the financial industry, as well as numbers that you could have behind your name if you're in the broker side of that field. So your type of industry might have certifications you need. And you might yeah, and I would, I would make order. the distinction. You know, I would make the distinction between, as you mentioned, like some of the licensing series six, seven, those were securities licenses versus a CFP, which is a credential. I mean, yeah. there are some things that where an industry needs a certain amount of education or, or a person who's operating as a professional in an industry, whether it's financial planning or legal advice or, you know, being a surgeon or something, you have to have some specialized knowledge and you do that through education and certification or degrees or credentialing as opposed to, and, and this is sometimes confusing to people, but those are different than state registration or licensing that you have to pay a government or whatever it might be where they're, they're saying, okay, now you've registered with us and you're paying a fee for that registration. And now we're going to regulate you. Yeah. That makes sense. On a similar note, do you have a non-compete with whoever you're already currently working with? So say you've got some kind of amazing technology type idea. Are you going to get in legal trouble if you try to actually implement that idea? Does that counter anything you've done with work right now? Yeah, the employer that you might work for, they might yeah, already exactly. own the idea, right? They may have already paid for your labor to develop an idea. And so they own it because they paid you to help develop it. And so you might yeah. have some issues with regard to that intellectual property, which is a whole different, you, you already mentioned, you know, copyrights, patents, those kinds of things, but intellectual property is a whole different thing. We can't go into detail on that, but that's a big part of having innovation in an economy and, and new business, trying new different ideas. Obviously that's a great thing over the long term, because people, if they just keep doing the same thing, always the same way, they won't get any different results. And if people want to improve their lives or a business person wants to help improve massive numbers of people's lives, then they have to do something different. They have to think differently. There's yeah. so many stories. In fact, this, this topic always gets me excited about because it's not like I invented the financial planning profession. I, I saw it as an opportunity to, to deliver value and control my time and earn a good living and help lots of people. But there are people who do change the world with innovations. You know, some of these really kind of interesting high-tech innovations, but there's also low-tech innovations that, you know, people just see the world a little bit differently. One example I love is the McLean story. 
there's a guy named Malcolm McLean. Do you know this story? Do you know who that is? I, it sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. So Malcolm McLean is the guy who owned a trucking company who changed the world of shipping, who basically saw the cargo area of a large truck as something they should put on ships that move products around the world. They used to have, you know, let's say you had food from, you know, some other part of the world or some manufactured good or even iPods or something like that, you know, they'd be all in these different kinds of boxes and they'd be highly labor intensive to, to load and unload from like a truck to a ship and then move it across the world to some other market. And he came up with the idea of just being able to take the shipping container on the truck, the cargo car, the big box container, and just have cranes and, and just move them on, on and off boats, uh, the ships that they would go somewhere. And that saved all kinds of labor, all kinds of uh, costs that in many ways has made our lives so much better because we can now get lots of things from around the world at much less cost. That was just not anything really high tech. Obviously there's technology involved, but, and there's technology involved in terms of logistics now that even spurred even more technology or more innovation. But the original was just saying, well, why don't we just take this box, take this box yeah. off the truck and instead of having a bunch of people unload it, just, you know, just move the whole box. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Know. There's I all kinds of examples like that, that, you know, that you see they're really, high tech stuff that, you know, whiz bang type things, driverless cars that they're talking about right now, or, or even doing right now, and, you know, going to Mars and, and that kind of thing. But there's also little innovations that turn into big innovations where, where someone just thinks a little bit differently with something that's been part of our lives for a long time. Yeah. Like the cell phones with the facial recognition technology. So like I lift up my cell phone and it can open because it sees my face and I mean, five years ago, probably maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't around. That was only around for the fancy technology. And that's right. Now I feel you get a new computer and it does the same thing. And yep. um, that's a step that just makes our lives easier. Yep. So obviously so the legal parameters of what kind of business you're setting up and the, the nature of the business is going to drive some of that. And obviously there's a big issue of taxes, how your business should be structured. That'll obviously define how you're paying taxes. And if you have employees, then you're paying payroll taxes for them. And you might have business property tax if you've got equipment in the office or in your plant and equipment. And then there's the issue of you know, how you compensate your employees, whether it's salary, salary plus bonus or salary plus bonus plus healthcare or you know, parking or gym memberships or whatever it might be. Uh, employee benefits are a big thing is how, how do you take advantage of the tax code to compensate and attract the best talent you can for the values that you're trying to provide? Yeah. Well, and then on a similar note, I feel it's all over social media with the, <laughs> there's this reel where essentially the girl goes, oh, I'm buying more stuff. And the husband comes in and goes, what are you doing with that? And why are you buying all this stuff? And she goes, oh, well, it's okay. It's no one paid for it. I, I just get to write it all off. <laughs> and so that does come from some real situation. So the fact that yes, you, you can deduct some of your expenses for your business, but definitely look into what type of expenses are deductible because there are limitations on those. Yeah. And that's a really good point, Taylor, is that sometimes people think I can go into business and I can write a bunch of stuff off, not realizing that as I often say, it still is America, right? And we're not in the 100% tax bracket. So, I mean, a person shouldn't let that incentive 
that our laws have right now to be able to write things off because business people take risks. And in the normal course of operating their business, they have expenses. You know, we could argue about the tax code, but a person shouldn't say, I'm going into business for the tax benefits. I mean, because that's a disaster idea. We don't yeah. want that, that tax tail to wag the dog. You want to have a real product, a real service, a real value to offer, and then you will get some benefits, at least under the current structure, if you have deductible expenses. And obviously that, that brings us to the issue of costs and all kinds of things, other costs that a person can expense. Yeah. Well, and one last note on what Mike is saying there with, okay, don't let the deductions kind of wag you. You do want to be careful because if you find that you're in a business that is never profitable, you might get stuck in what's called hobby laws. And if they basically decide to say that, hey, you're not getting any tax benefits because this isn't a business, this is just a hobby and you're just trying to take tax benefits from it, the government will kind of come at you and it's not great. <laughs> what yeah, I you, you, can't, you can't take deductions if you're not ever really you know, showing a profit. They have, uh, the IRS has these guidelines and rules about, okay, X number of years, you know, two out of the last five years, you have to be showing a profit. And sometimes people will manage their, their profitability based on that. But ultimately, as we've discussed before, the purpose of a business is to create profits, to provide shareholder value, which it means profitability. And that's what you want to go into business for. Aside from some of the, you know, the passion motivations and the time control motivations we talked about before, it's to, to, to turn a profit, to actually to provide value to your customers. And if you have employees, take care of them, but to, to provide you, the shareholder or shareholders profit. And, and that's why you don't want to be so motivated by the, the tax benefits. Another point I would make about small businesses Sometimes people don't realize that they just buy themselves a job. They don't take into account the value of their time. So for example, let's say I'm you know, someone who works in a software company and I can make $100,000 a year, just as an example. And I think, eh, I don't really want to, I want to go into business for myself. And I'm going to, I've mentioned a couple of times here, just for the sake of an example, you know, a dry cleaner business. So I go into the dry cleaner business and my dry cleaning business grosses you know, $400,000 a year. And I pay my employees and all that kind of stuff, but I have expenses, including the, the employees and the, the cost of my equipment to dry clean and all that kind of stuff. So I end up having profitability of maybe you know, $40,000 a year. And I think, what a great business. But I'm not taking into account the fact that my market potential in the software business was 100,000 and now I'm only making 40, even though I grossed 400, most of that's going in, in the way of expenses. And sometimes people don't realize that they have to place a value on their time, what they're worth in the marketplace. That may be worth it. It may be worth saying, I don't really like doing software anymore. I know I could make a lot more money, but I like being in the dry cleaning business. But that has to be, that should be a conscious decision where they say the quality of my life. I can't imagine that because I wouldn't want to be in the dry cleaning business. I like people who do that for me, but I wouldn't want to do that. But a person might say, I'm really passionate about cleaning clothes and, and I'm okay calculating the value of my time at a lower hourly rate just to, to have this kind of control over and to pursue my passion. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you definitely want to weigh what are the end of the line costs and what are the end of the line profits to you? And is it worth it to potentially take a pay cut if it's something you're more passionate about? Right. And that's where a lot of times people have to get in the idea of thinking of wearing at least two hats. One, that they're the primary employee who started the company. And if they can earn a salary doing that, paying themselves, and then as you know, changing the hat and saying, okay, now I'm the business owner and I invested 
some capital and I need a return on that capital because otherwise I could have just put it into somebody else's business and got a return. Uh, you know, I could have bought a stock or a mutual fund or maybe, you know, gave my you know, sister-in-law some money to start her business that I don't really have any time involved. I'm just getting a return on the, on the money that I invested. So usually a business is wearing multiple hats, but at least two, you have to think of yourself as the primary first employee that should get paid for what they're doing if they can, if the business is supported that. And sometimes it takes a while for that to happen, but should get paid for the time. And then as a business owner, that's a different hat, getting a return on the capital invested and the risk that's been taken. Yeah. So that kind of covers the payroll concept. And then I think we kind of touched on the different additional costs. You're going to have stuff like possibly rent, if nothing else, the rent of wherever you're living or mortgage, utilities, supplies, potential employee benefits, paying the employees, any kind of legal assistance, any kind of tax assistance, possibly fees to set up a website, possibly marketing fees, qualifications, any kind of certifications you need, resources, all that kind of stuff. I'm sure there's plenty more, but that's kind of just trying to sum up some of the costs you should be aware of. So I kind of want to finish off on just asking Mike a couple questions about his experience and his wisdom as a business owner. So what would you say was the biggest learning experience going into the industry was, or the hardest learning experience going into the industry? Well, there's some things that are unique to the investment business. And then there are things that are you know, more generalized to any kind of business. The latter point about just generalized, we've kind of covered some of that. I think it really does take, at least in my case, and maybe I wasn't as effective early on as I could have been, but I was a survivor, certainly, and a thriver in this business. And so the first thing is it does take a lot of time and energy. And in my case, it was definitely worth it. That's one big point is, you know, it's front loaded. You got to really rev that engine and plane up to get it off the ground. That's one of the biggest things. In terms of the this business, and I think this does apply to any business as well. People don't realize that at least a lot of people don't realize that when you're wanting to go into business, you really are wanting to serve. You're wanting to serve somebody. In my case, well, I want to serve clients and see them succeed. And you now it's one thing to lose my own money, but I hate losing money. I hate making mistakes with other people's money. It's, it's even harder. And I think that's probably true of any business person. The guy who's a dry cleaner and, and, you know, okay, I burned my clothes, but I don't want to burn the clothes of my customers. You know, they care about their customers a lot. If they, if they're going into business, they care about the business. Now I'm not saying this is always in every case they are shysters or people who are, you know, taking shortcuts or trying to make profits without really earning them. But I think in most cases, going back to that motivation answer, if a person's going into business, they care about the kind of customer they have and the kind of product or service a lot. That, that's what we mean by the ownership pride. You own things. You're taking the risk. You're the one who someone's going to complain to and say, you know, you you screwed up my sweater or you lost me money in this investment or my iPhone doesn't work or whatever it is, you're taking ownership and trying to solve problems. And that's, that's the great thing about business because that's what business does. You know, you're basically saying, I want to trade with other people and solve their problems and, and make money doing it. I want to resell something or I want to invent something and provide a value for other people. And it's exciting to, to see someone who's a satisfied customer or client where they know you provide them a great value and it's a great trade. And that's an interesting part of a market-based economy where people say thank you to each other. You know, you, if you go into lots of places in the world that don't have market-based economy, I mean, I know I'm getting off on my, my ideological thing, but 
they don't say thank you to each other. But you know, in America and and in in most of the countries in the world now that have some kind of market based economy, you know, the customer and the business owner are both saying thank you to each other because it's a win win. We're both providing values to each other. You're you're providing the money to, for me to to provide you the service or product, and that's a great thing when you have win wins. You know, you have mutually agreed upon win-wins is a wonderful thing. Yeah. I don't know if that was what you were really getting at, but that's some of my experience in is both a business owner and a customer. I love getting great service from a company or love getting a great product. Whatever it is that I buy from other people, it's a wonderful thing to say, you know, this someone really was thinking about this thing that, you know, the whiskey that I bought, this is it's amazing how much thought went into producing this whiskey or how much thought went into providing this vehicle that I'm driving around. This is a great thing. Yeah. So what would be your biggest advice to our listeners for what will make them feel successful in their industry? Well, the one thing we really haven't touched on, I mean, it's implicit in everything you and I do, Taylor. And so it's kind of interesting that we didn't really spend any time on this, but people should have a plan. You know, they should do a business plan, just like we do life planning and financial planning for people to become more independent and to reach certain goals. Well, if you have a goal to, to open a business, you got to put some thought into it and, and, and you have to take the risk of people criticizing it and rejecting it. But you, you really want to put a plan together. And there are certainly people out there who professionally, that's another business out there that someone will write business plans for you. You'll describe what you have in mind and they'll put it into a format for you. But you should have some ownership yourself. You can't just outsource that entirely. You can't just say, yeah, write me a business plan. I have an idea. And, and they publish this thing for you that you don't really have any energy or passions for. It's got to be you doing some of that research and saying, is there really the, the viability for my product or service? The biggest piece I would say is make sure you're doing a plan. Don't just jump into a business. Obviously, if you see a great opportunity, you got to move fast because it's a competitive world and, and you might lose that, especially if it's a new world changing type thing. If you're thinking about it, someone else is thinking about that same problem and trying to solve it. So you do have to move fast, especially if it's a new and innovative thing. But you got to do some planning. You got to be able to say, here's my vision and here's how I think it will play out. And then let me let more experienced people say, you know, you haven't thought of this or you, people you trust and who won't steal your ideas, but you aren't thinking clearly about the costs or you're not thinking clearly about how many people are really going to demand your product or service right away. How are you going to find these customers? What's your marketing plan? What's your funding plan? You know, that's a big piece of it. Do you have a good solid business plan? And it's just like in our financial planning with, you know, someone trying to get retired or send their kids to college, that doesn't guarantee success. You know, if you have a business plan, it doesn't mean it's going to succeed, but it gives you so much more to go with and gives you much higher odds of succeeding if you've thought through some of those problems ahead of time and can anticipate them and then respond to them through that plan. Yeah. How about you? What, what would be your biggest advice? Oh, I would say write out your who, what, why. So I, I'm very much a goal-oriented, you write down your goals and lists and cross them off as you achieve them kind of person. And I think that that is why I typically achieve a lot more of my goals. So I'd say write it down. And if you want this to be your goal and you want this to be where you're headed, manifest that goal by starting with writing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm, you know, that's kind of what that planning process is, is putting it down on paper. It can't just be in your head. Yeah. Um, you got to turn it into reality by getting it down on paper first and then having it react to the real world, both in terms of people who might invest in it or who might be customers or, or just people you trust to criticize and give you feedback on whether it's a good idea or not in the first place. Yeah. But even just, 
other than like your whole comprehensive plan, think of it from the basic level. Like, why am I going to do this? Because if you wake up in the morning every day, hating that new job that you just quit your stable job for to create their new job, if you hate it every day, it's not going to be great. And it's not going to be successful. You need to know what you want and why you want it. I agree with that. Thinking in terms of what gives you energy, what, what gets you jazzed yeah. up about the whole idea? We could go on for a long time. Hopefully this has been helpful for people. Any other last things that you want to? Well, so I'm going to kind of close it up. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. We do invite you to follow, like, friend, subscribe with us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and this podcast. All platforms are saved as Altius Financial. That's all in one word, A-L-T-I-U-S Financial. You'll see our logo there as our picture, so can't miss us. I do want to remind you all, we are in our 53-week challenge, and we do invite you guys to continue along and join with us. Hopefully, you've already been joining along and crossing things off every single week. So this week, we want to check in on any kind of emergency savings. So have you thought about an emergency savings account? Do you have any savings set aside for the what-ifs? We definitely encourage you guys to reach out to us if you want to discuss what type of emergency savings are most suitable for you. And feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, ideas for podcasts. Michael at Altius Financial, Taylor at Altius Financial, www.altiusfinancial.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a happy Friday. Definitely capitalize on your weekend. Let us know if you are deciding to start a new business because of this, or if you want to join our upcoming workshop this August. Okay. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.